Today we're in Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. You might want to turn to Joshua number six, chapter number six today. I've never met a man named Achan. Have you ever met a man named Achan? Any of you named Achan? Good, I, I'm, I'm glad. Now, I've known an Adam, I've known an Abraham, I've known an Isaac, a Jacob, and uh, I've known an Elijah, uh, but I've not known an Achan, or Judas, or Nero. Uh, we don't name our kids that, do we? Why is that? Well, it's because we don't want them to turn out like Achan. And let's see why in our series, Prophets, Rulers, Patriarchs, and now Achan, the thief. Uh, maybe a, a word about the historical setting would be helpful to you. Uh, you remember the story that Moses leads the people of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt through the Red Sea, through the Sinai Peninsula, and up to the verge, the edge of the promised land. They turn back because of fear. They turn back and they spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert, never entering into the promised land. Entire generation passes away in those 40 years. And except for two people. And those people were Joshua and Caleb. Now Joshua is the leader of the people of Israel. And at the right time, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he leads the people through the Jordan River and out into the land of Canaan, the promised land. They're finally there. What God promised to Abraham so many years earlier, they've now realized. But they've got a problem. And that problem is about a half a mile from the Jordan is the city of Jericho. Uh, Jericho, Marcia and I have been there uh, a number of times. There's no walls in Jericho. There's just foundations. And of course, there's a reason why there's no walls, and we'll get there uh, uh, in a little bit. But uh, Jericho was a big town, a big city. They had a big army. And so Israel is faced with this issue. And the issue is, how are they going to deal with Jericho and the army there? What are they going to do? See, if they could go around, but that would mean that the army of Jericho would constantly be at their flank and was a danger to them. They had to deal with Jericho. But how do you do that? How do you deal with a walled city with a huge wall around it? Uh, how does the Lord have you prepare for that? God took him out. God took Joshua out one night to look at the wall. And he's looking at the wall and God says, see, I've given to you Jericho. See? You know, well, what does that mean? See? Uh, how, how are we going to defeat this? What, but what God is doing is he's calling on Joshua to have faith because 
God will see them through. Well, that brings us now to how God would have them address Jericho. God's instructions were, Joshua was to have all the people gather together. They were to walk around the city of Jericho one time per day. And then they were to do this six days on the seventh day. Well, let's pick up there. In Joshua chapter 6, verse number 15, it says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner but seven times. It was uh, only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, in the Bible, the trumpet is representative of something. It's calling the people of God to war and to worship. In this case, it would be calling the people of God to both, worship and to war. And so the trumpets are played. Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now that's faith. I mean, uh, there's all of these people marching around the wall. Joshua says, shout and, and God's given us the city. Well, who's ever defeated a city like that? Nobody's ever defeated like that. But they're called on to live by faith in the promised land and whenever else or wherever else they might be. And so, uh, it, well, it goes on to say, verse number 17, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So the Lord is saying, what we want you to do is walk around this city seven times. Trumpets will play. And after they play, Shout, and you are going to see something that has never happened before. You're going to see the walls fall down flat. But that's my gift to you. But I want you to worship me. And the way you're going to do that is through the giving of everything that is in this city to me. Uh, the, the term that's used here, uh, it shall be devoted. The word koriban means uh, it is under the ban. It's under a ban because this is being given to God as an act of worship. It's kind of like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Uh, they lied about a gift belonging to God, and they suffered for it. Well, here, everything's under the ban. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are, are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Don't touch that stuff. Lest when you have devoted them, you've, you've done what I've said, you've offered it up to me, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Then going on, but 
all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. Never before, never since. And so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Can you even begin to imagine the the, uh, exhilaration that these people felt? Their parents had told them all of their lives that God had promised them a land. They had now entered that land. And in obedience to God, they took the first city. God was with them. God blessed them. God showed up there in the promised land. It must have been a thrilling time to these people. But, you expect a but here and there is. But, there's sin in the camp. It says this in chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Why the people of Israel and not just this person named Achan? Well, we don't know for sure. It may well be that many people saw him take these things and did nothing about it. It may be that they didn't police themselves as they were supposed to. I don't know, but the anger of the Lord now is fixed upon the people of Israel. Now, verse number two. Here's the next step in their campaign to enter into uh, the promised land, to take the promised land. It says this, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. That's a strange name, isn't it? That two vowels, Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out the land. Let me just paraphrase it now. What happened was they come back and they say, listen, Joshua, we don't need to send a lot of people up there. We just send two or 3,000 people. That's all we need because this is a little town. We've just taken Jericho. This thing's it's a little town. So let's just send a few people up. And Joshua sent 3,000 people up. And when they attacked, they were repelled and they turned and they ran and they ran down the mountain and 36 of their soldiers died. It was a humiliating defeat. God had given specific instructions about taking Jericho. They had followed those instructions and God had worked in this amazing way but this man whose name was Achan took 
what he was not supposed to, that which had been offered to the Lord, he took it back to his tent. He dug a hole and put the things in the hole and then covered it back thinking that God couldn't see through the dirt. God has no problem seeing through the dirt. And so he did this and he planted it there and, uh, and the people of Israel experienced this humiliating defeat. Uh, what's the story with this? Is there, is there a story to learn? And there is. The principle is one man, one man's sin, one woman's sin can bring severe consequences on those around him. Uh, I pastored in St. Louis for a number of years. And uh, we moved there from Arizona. And so uh, uh, I went on ahead of us because uh, I wanted to start work and Marcia stayed back with the boys for about a month or maybe it was six weeks, something like that. Well, I got there on a Tuesday and my first day was a Tuesday. And uh, so I began to call various staff members in. I wanted to get to know them, what they did, about their families and things like that. Well, the church administrator came and we sat and we talked for a half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. And I said, now I would like to have an audit, a full outside audit. It's only right to start a, a pastorate that way. And he said, oh, we don't spend that kind of money. Uh, I, we do an internal audit. It's more than adequate. And that's what we've always done. And so I said, well, you know, I'll talk to the deacons and let's see if we can come up with the money to do this. Well, he left the office. About an hour or so later, he came back and he said, I have taken $100,000 of the church's money. Now, in today's terms, that'd be about a quarter million dollars. I've taken a quarter million dollars of the church's money. I invested it, one of these get-rich-quick schemes, and he was duped by that. All the money was lost, and now there was this deficit, and it was about to come out in an audit. Well, uh, of course, I did what I had to do, which was uh, to let him go from his position. And the next night, a Wednesday night, the first thing I had to do as their pastor was go to the pulpit and say, the church administrator has taken $100,000 of the church's money. Well, I wasn't excited about that prospect. And so... I did it. And the most amazing thing, I'd never seen anything like this before. The people got angry at each other. Apparently, this had been simmering for some period of time, and some liked him, and some didn't like him, and, you know, some wanted action with him, and some didn't. And apparently, this was simmering. And now that he had taken the money, it just exploded. And it was utter chaos that night. I can remember calling Marcia and saying, uh, listen, uh, don't sell the house. 
<laughs> uh, let's think about this thing. And, and so uh, it was, it was chaos. And you know, it stayed that way, excuse me. Uh, it stayed that way the entire time I was there. It was horrible. And people got, got, I mean, they got really good at fighting with each other. And it just went on and on and on. Then when I left, it went on and on and on. And uh, it was just a tragedy. One man's sin brought destruction, brought chaos among the people. Uh, in other words, it's the Aiken principle. Well, let's go on. Uh, now, what's Joshua's main concern here? Joshua 7, 6 says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. What in the world is that? That is grieving. That is grieving Middle Eastern style. And so they're in deep grief. Now Joshua is about to blame God for their trouble. How many times do we do that? Blame God. God, why didn't you do this? Why did you let this happen to me? Uh, if you're with me, why didn't you give me this or allow this to happen? A anyway, uh, he goes on, verse number seven, and Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had stayed uh, or that we had been content beyond the Jordan, in other words, on the east side. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their back before the enemies? For the Canaanites will all, uh, and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut us off from our name and from the earth. In other words, they're going to exterminate us because they've seen our vulnerability. And the passage goes on. And what will you do for your great name? This is all your fault. And listen, you've done nothing but hurt yourself in allowing this to happen. So what Joshua is concerned about is their reputation. And you know, we need to be concerned about our reputations. If you read the qualifications for an elder and a deacon, what you see is they've got to be men of wonderful reputations inside and outside the church. If you lose your good reputation, you are going to have a battle to get it back. So I, the moral of that story is your reputation, what you stand for, counts. Well, let's go on. Uh, God's response to Joshua now. God's, uh, Joshua is blaming God. Verse 10, and the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Why'd you blame me? Uh, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and have stolen and lied and put them 
and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. In other words, without my help, you're lost, just like we are. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with them no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So why did God withdraw his power? He withdrew his power because there was sin in the camp. Now, the Lord had a specific way to reveal Achan to Joshua, and he followed that, and Achan is now revealed. And the consequences for him and his family were grave. Again, the Achan principle, your sin does not only impact you, but the people around you. For every one of us, that is true. You know, in March, the federal prosecutors charged 50 people with a scheme to secure a place at Yale and uh, Stanford and other big names uh, schools for their kids. Uh, And this was the largest uh, action of the federal government against a school uh, kind of fraud like this, the largest admissions uh, scam. Uh, They accused the parents who had paid millions of dollars to get their kids into these schools, the schools that their kids were not qualified for and would not have gotten into if it were not for the bribery of their parents. So now what has happened? What has happened is these people's reputation has, are, is shot Some of them are big-name people. When we look at them, we say, these are cheaters. They bribed to try to get their kids in. But think of the kids. Many of them did not know what had happened, I would suspect. And now other kids are telling them, well, we know how you got here. You cheated to get in. The ramifications of the sins ripple on out. All right, I want to stop here and just begin a time of application because this is so filled with the need for application. The first one is God sets boundaries on us. Now, he's God. He gets to decide. You know, uh, people say, well, well, you know, uh, I'm capable of making decisions for myself. I I know that the Bible says that, but I'm going to do this. Please understand that God puts boundaries around us. For example, uh, regarding our sexuality, we take that outside of the marriage relationship and there will be consequences for that. And that's just one kind of illustration. There's plenty of others. And that is God has placed boundaries around us, and those boundaries are placed because of love. We read the scripture. We find out where they are. We ask God to enable us not to step over the boundaries. 
and in God's power he will. A, a second way of taking these events with Achan and putting them into practice is please understand that you don't hide from God. Uh, uh, God has, you can't keep a secret from God. He knows it all. He has no trouble seeing through the dirt. But beyond that, he knows you. He's an expert on you. He knows what you think right now. He knows what you do. He knows where you go, what you don't do, what you neglect. God knows. Now, that can be a fearful thing to you or it can be a comforting thing to you, depending on how you look at this and how you live your life. But you cannot hide from God. Nothing is hidden before him. Uh, next. This is a severe sermon, isn't it? Uh, I, I know it is. After the first service, a number of people said, I'm never coming back. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. I'm just kidding. But it is a severe sermon, uh, but needed. Here's the next point. Con there are consequences for sin that will eventually catch up with us. We can rebel against God. We can do something if we want to do that. We can rebel with, and not have some immediate kind of consequence and think we got by with it. We never get by with it. Any kind of rebellion against God will immediately affect your relationship with him, your fellowship with him, and it will bring repercussions in the future. This is what Galatians 6, 7 says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, for whatever one sows, that will he reap. Now, I don't know a lot about farming. My, my grandfather was a farmer, and we would go back to southern Illinois once a year, and I'd spend a lot of time with Grandpa. Uh, and we'd go out into the fields, and we'd work the fields, and it was really an interesting kind of experience to have. Now, one thing I learned from my grandfather is this. If you plant corn in the spring, in the fall, corn is going to come up. Now that's a lesson right there. You plant corn, you're going to reap corn. Plant corn, you're not going to get wheat. You're not going to get barley. What you're going to get is corn. You reap what you've sown. But there's more to it than that. You reap more than you've sown. I mean, he would go out and he'd put a kernel of corn in the ground. And he would expect the plant to grow and lots of ears to be on that corn. And there'd be then lots of corn for the harvest. You reap what you sow and you reap later than you sow and you reap more than what you sow. You do reap later. It doesn't happen immediately but you will end up reaping more than what you've sown. The consequences will go on. Uh, is there application there? Yes, please, understand that there is. Fathers, God has called on you 
to do certain things with your children, to honor God with your children, to teach your children what he would want, to live a godly life and live as an example for your kids. What if you don't? What if you fail to follow the Lord in that? There's going to be consequences, and maybe for the whole next generation and the next one. Uh, another example. Uh, I've mentioned already that I've pastored in, in Oklahoma City for a long time, for 25 years. And uh, during that time, there was a young uh, Hindu family that came and, and started visiting the church. Uh, and they had a growing conviction about Jesus. And as time went on, the, the, the wife had already received Christ. But as time went on, the husband ends up receiving Christ as well. I can remember baptizing him and telling him, you need to say your name. I'll never get it out. Uh, he was from India. And so uh, he was on fire for the Lord. Everybody loved them. They saw how they were dealing with a problem in their own family uh, with one of their kids, an illness, and uh, they did it with grace and faith. It was a thrill for the entire church to know them, see their excitement uh, about the Lord. Then a couple of summers ago, they went to Israel with us on a tour. And I noticed that there's something a little different about him, but not a lot. When we got home, I think it was the very next week, we learned that he had been having an affair with another woman. His wife had found out. She was devastated and told him to leave. The son found out a brilliant kid, brilliant. He found out, he, and he was crushed by what his father had done. And when this news got to the church, it's like throwing a rock into the lake. The ripples just went out further and further and further. I'll tell you something that I learned in it. If he can fall to sexual immorality, anybody can. But the impact of that sin just went out further and further and further as he completely destroyed his testimony. It is a tragedy. Well, some months later, he repented and asked for her to let him come in. And after a period of time, she did. Uh, but there is still the consequences that had been there. Maybe you're at a point of temptation. Maybe there's someone in your office or someone in your neighborhood and you're feeling some attraction there. The best thing you can do is turn around and run. Quit your job. Ask for transfer. Move. Do what you gotta do to get away from this temptation. It will destroy you. Uh, or we could talk about uh, students, you know that you're having an awakening uh, interest 
in your sexuality. Uh, and I'm not going to be crude with this, but you are. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to watch pornography? Are you going to have some kind of encounter with a girlfriend or a boyfriend? What are you going to do with it? If you keep that sex in marriage, God will honor that. If you don't, the ramifications of that may go on for the rest of your life. Don't do it. So what do you do? I mean, we all can look back in our lives and see sin. We may see the consequences that have already happened or they may still be coming. And we're convicted about what we've done. What do you do with that? What you do is, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? In eternity, if you've received Christ, you are fully forgiven already of all of your sins in eternity. You're already forgiven. But here in time, you need to experience the, that cleansing and that renewed relationship with the Lord. And so he says, confess your sins and he will be faithful and just to forgive you. So what do you do with the sin? What you do is you do business with God. You stop what you're doing. You pray and ask God for help and for his forgiveness and for restoration. And you do what he's telling you to do. Stop before it happens. If it's already happened, then understand that God is forgiving. There will be consequences, but God is forgiving. And, and confess that because God will help you through it. And of course, the greatest consequence there is for our sin is separation from God. That happens because we have not received Christ as our Lord and Savior. My prayer for you today is the simple one. And that is, if you have not yet turned away from your desire to be in charge of your own life, and turned in faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he's come to save you from your sin. If you have not yet done that, this is the day to do it. Don't neglect this. Don't put it off because none of us know how long we have. Obey the Lord. Let me pray for you. Would you stand and let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for those here today who are on the very verge of temptation, the very verge of falling. And Lord, we pray that they will hear this message and take it to heart. And Father, that they would turn to you for your help and your power. Lord, for those of us who have already rebelled against you. And you're revealing it to us. Lord, give us the courage to turn away from it, the desire to turn away and experience you. And 
of course, Father, we do pray for the person who's not yet received Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name.